Good morning, everyone. We're here to discuss Africa's green trade opportunities. My name is Jodie Keane. I'm a senior research fellow at ODI. And I'm really pleased that you can join us and our esteemed panelists. And also I'm glad that you're here to hear opening remarks from Ambassador Amina Mohammed as well, who will be joining us shortly. So with COP28 taking place in Dubai this week, from this coming Thursday, the 30th of November, up until the 12th of December, trade will really be in the spotlight as a key contributor to climate action. As we know, there will be the first ever trade day that will be held on the 4th of December. So this will now provide a global platform to discuss how trade policies can better support climate goals. Today, though, we're going to reflect on Africa's green trade opportunities. And I'm really delighted that I've got a great lineup of panelists here to join us. But before I introduce each one, and before we begin our deliberations, we're really delighted to receive opening remarks for this session from Excellency Amb Amb Ambassador Amina Mohammed, the founder of Trade Negotiations Investment Forum, Nairobi. So we're really pleased to invite Ambassador to provide opening remarks, and we're hoping that Ambassador may be able to stay on the line and also provide closing remarks once we've heard from all of our panellists. So, Ambassador, we're really delighted that you can join us this morning. Um, over to you for opening remarks. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Jody, and I am delighted uh, to be here. Let me welcome all of you. Join uh, Jody actually in welcoming everybody uh, to this uh, to this session. Um, uh, my name is Amina Mohammed, as Jody has just uh, said, and I am the president and founder of the Trade Negotiations and Investment Forum. I'm delighted that I was invited uh, by TINIF and ODI uh, to provide the opening remarks to this extremely important and timely meeting uh, that's happening uh, just before um, the uh, anticipated COP28 um, you know, summit that is going to be held in uh, the UAE. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, TNIF uh, because I know that it's uh, it's, it's not just uh, it's just no, not just new, but it's probably not well known by many of the um, uh, panelists that are here today. Uh, so it's a new uh, think tank. Uh, it seeks to promote dialogue, analysis, and understanding of trade and investment uh, on the continent of Africa and beyond. It offers a meeting place and an activity center. Uh, for policymakers, for business, for civil society, members of institutions of higher learning, scholars and experts, uh, who we hope, uh, uh, as they have already uh, started to do, uh, will come together at TNIF to exchange ideas, uh, to learn, uh, and to have experiences in matters that um, uh, relate to trade, investment, um, and negotiations of, of both uh, trade and investment. Uh, the objectives of TNIF can be summarized in four key points. The first one is to promote inclusive trade uh, by fostering dialogue and understanding among various stakeholders. Uh, the second objective is to enhance social well-being uh, by examining how trade negotiations and investment can support social development, as such as job creation, poverty reduction, and sustainable uh, livelihoods. The third is to bridge policy and practice. Uh, 
between policymakers, uh, the private sector, civil society, uh, scholars, and of course, uh, experts. Uh, one of the ways in which we contribute to this goal would be by facilitating dialogue and knowledge exchange among all these uh, stakeholders uh, with the goal of translating policy recommendations into practical actions. And the fourth one is um, uh, cutting edge intelligence being provided, um, but also providing analysis on contemporary trade and investment trends, including through research uh, and monitoring of the evolving uh, global trade landscape, identifying emerging issues, and providing insights to inform decision-making uh, processes. Uh, we hope that uh, by addressing these objectives, uh, we would contribute to a more um, informed, uh, inclusive, and fruitful uh, discussion and conversation on trade negotiations and investment. Uh, this meeting that we have today is extremely important. Um, and I think it's important because uh, we are going to also be discussing um, issues around climate change uh, that are most pressing uh, for our continent. Uh, I think you all know, it's no secret now, it's been spoken to many times, that Africa actually faces the brunt of the effects of climate change and contributes the least to global greenhouse emissions. Mm. So we, we suffer the, the, the worst brunt, uh, but we contribute almost nothing. Um, and we feel that with our youthful and growing population, we face an unprecedented development challenge, or maybe I should say a sustainable development uh, challenge, providing economic opportunity, lifting millions out of poverty within a global carbon budget. There is no blueprint. It has never happened before. Uh, so we are in very unfamiliar uh, grounds. Um, and since it has never been done before, uh, we are all uh, trying to look for answers, for solutions, and for best pathways uh, forward. Um, as was outlined in the recent Nairobi Declaration, I know that uh, you all probably heard about the Africa Climate Summit, and maybe some of you attended it earlier this, uh, this year. Um, uh, the declaration was actually quite significant uh, in uh, its its contents, but also in the recommendations that it made, uh, as well as in the demands that it uh, it made to the global community. Um, and what we said in the declaration is that Africa can industrialize, and it can be part of the solution to the climate emergency. Uh, we have vast resources. We have many uh, producers that already uh, rely on renewable energy supplies. Uh, you know, uh, our carbon footprint, especially in Kenya, is extremely low uh, because we depend on green energy uh, for 93% of our energy uh, needs. So we're actually the poster country uh, for renewable energy. Kenya is the poster country for renewable energy. But this needs to be recognized, it needs to be supported, and it needs to be rewarded. Uh, because it wasn't an easy path to choose. Uh, you know, we made a very, very difficult decision to go that way. And we hope that the rest of the international community will understand this, will come and, um, you know, hold our hands and support us. We, we actually want to be 100% renewable energy uh, reliant. And, and so if we get the right types of investment, the right kind of support, 
the supporting international infrastructure and architecture that we will be able uh, to move forward. Um, at the forthcoming COP28, uh, there will be the first trade day. This is unique, it's historic, and I'm extremely delighted that it's going to be to be happening. Long time coming, long time coming. And it comes at a time when the major players are introducing measures to sanction and penalize trade that's perceived not to contribute uh, to environmental outcomes. Um, these are concerns um, that um, uh, we probably share with many countries uh, of, the, of the South. Um, we did not, as I said before, we contributed the least and bear the biggest brunt. Uh, and it's going to be extremely difficult for us uh, to accept to be penalized even further mm, um, by um, having to adhere to, um, um, to adhere to measures that are being introduced uh, just in terms of uh, uh, you know, carbon taxes uh, for uh, the products uh, that are entering uh, markets outside Africa. Valid concerns, and especially when uh, there is no support uh, system that has been put in place. There, is no, uh, there are no support measures uh, that we have been told about. Uh, we don't expect them uh, because we have been here uh, you know, before uh, with the very, very challenging sanitary and phytosanitary uh, measures being imposed without any consultation, due consideration, or even taking uh, into, into, into account our levels of, of development and the type of uh, uh, commodities and products that we're putting on the market. Our systems are adopting and uh, there are some uh, discussions that we are having amongst ourselves on the continent, but we're also happy that uh, within the WTO, there are reinvigorated uh, discussions in the Committee of, uh, of Trade and the Environment. Uh, it's clear that we need to go further and we need to do this much faster. And whilst there's a preoccupation with border control, uh, border carbon measures, issues of particular relevance to our countries, to developing countries like technology transfer, carbon markets don't feature as prominently as they should. And we are going to be putting those on the table at COP28. Uh, it's, it's actually good to see that um, the, um, uh, the host of this year's COP um, uh, summit uh, is placing a greater emphasis on technology and energy supply. Incidentally, I've just come out of a meeting, uh, an IJF meeting where we're actually discussing exactly that. Emphasis on technology, energy supply, and um, and how we can actually use technology uh, to jumpstart, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the work that needs to be done, uh, but also to leapfrog. Um, uh, we've talked about we talked about the digital economy and how we can use uh, you know all that to ensure uh, that we are moving uh, you know forward uh, systematically. So uh, we are looking forward um, uh, to a COP uh, that will provide uh, solutions and will provide direction uh, for us uh, on the continent and especially uh, across the trade related areas of relevance to our continent. Um, I'm going to uh, try and bring this to, to an end, uh, but let me just say that um, it's our expectation that discussions at uh, COP28 will influence the global landscape of uh, trade and investment uh, for many years to come. Um, now, right now, we have a lot of pressing issues to, to address, and um, I, I think uh, for those of us who will be at COP28, I think it will be really important uh, to come together 
and um, and uh, and join uh, join uh, join together uh, to drive this conversation uh, forward. Um, for us in Kenya, and I think for people across uh, this continent, the private sector is going to be key, right, in achieving. Uh, you know, all the recommendations that are in the Nairobi uh, Declaration. And so the, the views of the, of the private sector, uh, the recommendations of the, of the private sector uh, will be really, really important uh, at COP28, in addition, obviously, to policymakers and uh, governments. Um, we hope that we'll hear of specific examples where uh, the transition to net zero is shaping supply chains now, and not always... Um, uh, to the benefit of our producers and our, our workers and our labor. Uh, we will also reflect on solutions and the actions which may be taken now to avoid um, adverse effects arising out of the spillover of mitigation policies uh, adopted by the, by the big players. Um, so I want to turn to something that uh, Jody and, uh, and I think the advisory um, advisory. Uh, Council of the of the TNIF have discussed, and that uh, uh, you know Jody has brought to the uh, table quite quite forcefully, actually, um, uh, and that is turning uh, the a green squeeze uh, into more of a sea of new uh, trade opportunities. I think that Jody, you are spot on. Uh, we really need to uh, get that um, uh, you know moving. Uh, we need a smarter trade policy and for policymakers uh, to actually start linking the dots, uh, increasing due diligence requirements and transparency through digitization. And this will have the potential of increasing our participation in global markets. Uh, but again, only if the supporting uh, infrastructure is available and is provided. Um, I, I, we don't believe that uh, as poorer uh, producers, uh, we should bear the cost of the global uh, green transition. I think that should not be something that we expected uh, to, to, to bear, uh, and especially not at a time uh, when we are already investing uh, heavily uh, to adapt to physical effects of, of, of climate change. Uh, we also would require at COP28 global commitments on finance, on climate finance specifically. Um, and uh, we believe that it's only, um, that, the, that the global green transition will only work if we square these circles around climate, trade, and finance. I'm really pleased uh, that this panel combines policy and the business sector expertise, and we look forward uh, to your deliberations. I'm delighted that TNIF is partnering with ODI on this, um, at this meeting as part of uh, our work on supporting investment and trade uh, in, in Africa. Uh, we at TNIF are looking ahead and forward to help uh, Africa adapt to new green uh, trade measures. Uh, we will be working on some uh, on some analysis for a few of the African countries that have requested us to do that. Um, uh, but having said that, I'd just like to uh, thank all of you uh, for your attention and um, wish you uh, well as you continue with your deliberations. I will be here uh, for the end of the session. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that I said I, I committed to being here until the end of the session, uh, you know, so that I can uh, listen to everybody, uh, but also uh, contribute to the closing remarks. Thank you very, very much, Jody, and thank you, colleagues.
Excellent. Thank you so much, um, Ambassador, for the opening remarks. And we're really pleased that you can join us and provide the closing remarks also. Excellent. Thank you so much. So um, the panel session will now begin. And um, so I'm really delighted to welcome each member of the panel. I'll just briefly introduce each one and then we'll move into uh, the question um, and answer session. Um, so firstly, Dr. Patrick Lowe, um, board member of Trade Negotiations Investment Forum and former chief economist of the WTO. And we'll start with you first, Patrick. And then we'll, we'll move to Teddy Subramanian, um, chief executive of Comesa Business Council. Uh, we'll then proceed to Olam Wama, uh, green trade director at Trademark Africa. We then have Johnny Richards, who is the team leader at Trade for Development, FCDO uh, UK. And then finally, last but not by no means least, um, Dr. James McGregor, um, who is part of the Fair, Fair Miles Consortium. Um, so I'm really, really pleased that you can each join us uh, this morning. Um, so let's get, get away. Let's get, let's get cracking um, with the questions and then we'll open up to the floor um, for the question and answer session. So firstly, Patrick, looking ahead to the trade day at COP28, what are the key issues at the heart of the climate trade nexus for Africa? And how do you think the multilateral trading system can better address them? Thank you, Jody, and uh, good morning, everybody. Just to reiterate for a moment what Ambassador uh, Amina said um, concerning Africa and climate change in a broader sense. Africa is only responsible for about 7% of CO2 equivalent emissions. Of course, mitigation is important even for Africa, not least for market access reasons. Uh, she also mentioned how Kenya has managed to transition very substantially into sun, water and wind for its, for its grid, a little bit of volcanic action as well. So I think th those are examples of how uh, African countries can also contribute to uh, mitigation. But the real story for Africa's adaptation, Africa's the least to blame and the quickest to pay. Funding has fallen far short of what it was promised, what was promised, and how long is that going to continue to be the case? It'll become pretty clear at, at COP28 that, that the, the global community is simply not meeting the necessary targets in order to avoid catastrophic global warming. What's going to happen about that? But just to focus in on what I was really asked to talk about, which is um, the trading system and um, and the, all these challenges. First of all, some I just want to briefly mention some of the more challenging aspects of this. One is the carbon border adjustment mechanisms. This is going to fracture. I don't blame countries for doing this, because in the absence of international cooperation, but it is the very absence of international cooperation, which is the tragic part of this. Economists were saying decades ago that there was a rather simple solution to this. The emitters would get together, they'd decide which industries to target, they would agree on a, on a uniform carbon tax on emissions, and they would make themselves jointly accountable to each other for mitigation, then you wouldn't have to touch trade policy. And that would have been so much simpler. And I consider that a major policy failure of governments. And maybe, just maybe, we could transition out of CBAM type arrangements because they're going to multiply and fracture the, the, the trading system into a carbon tax regime. 
that I think is a major consideration. And I, if I was in, in charge of the, making these decisions, I would be pushing very hard for rethinking the the possibility of, a, of an international carbon tax. The second thing is subsidies. Now, you know, economists, purists tend to say subsidies are bad things, but we know very well that there are good subsidies and bad subsidies. And subsidies that are designed to accelerate technologies which are going to save the planet are prima facie good subsidies. The only problem is the way these subsidies are being structured is to is is, is rather protectionist. It, 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 will, it will cut off trading opportunities, including for Africa. And if only countries could get around that. I read an interesting article the other day, um, basically arguing that this was inconceivable simply because domestic domestic interests, domestic lobbies had to be convinced of the necessity of of of, of dealing with carbon with uh, climate change, and therefore this was a sweetener for them that they would get some more protection. I think this is a un very unfortunate road to go down. So that's another thing that's going to affect uh, African countries, obviously, amongst others. I don't know where we are with the question of uh, food and flower miles. Uh, I think Johnny's going to talk about this. It, it was a big issue. It's a, it's a highly fallacious argument if you don't do the carbon footprint analysis from beginning to end. Um, but it was it certainly had a lot of currency not so long ago. And I, don't, I don't know what the situation is now. Um, the, on the positive side, since 2020, the Committee on Trade and Environment have developed a new activity called Trade and Environment Sustainability Structure Discussions, TESD. Now, they haven't done an awful lot yet, but they're ex they're, they are exchanging views, exchanging experiences, exchanging ideas of how to address this matter. And I think that's a very promising discussion, which perhaps could lead to some concrete actions starting from the trade side which will have directly beneficial effects on climate change but it's somewhat early days on that one but there seems to be a commitment to to move ahead in that direction so i think that's all i'm going to say now about trade and, and climate change and uh, over to you Thank you so much, um, Patrick, for those very, very insightful remarks. So we're now going to turn to Teddy Subramanian. Um, Teddy, we hear a lot about the potential of new, new green trade measures and how they're going to affect African competitiveness. But what is your view you know, from businesses on the ground and how can Africa's export competitiveness be better supported within this new kind of green trade landscape? Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jody, and a very good morning uh, to you all. Uh, first of all, Jody, allow me uh, to to commend ODI for taking this initiative to organize this this meeting. As Ambassador Mohammed has said, I think it's a very important meeting for us as we prepare for uh, for COP twenty eight. Uh, Jody, also allow me to just mention quickly uh, a few words about CBC. The Comesa Business Council will represent the business community in the in the Comesa region in the eastern and southern part of Africa. As an organization uh, representing the business community, first of all, we are committed to a green trade and economic agenda. And this was actually uh, highlighted during our business forum that we organized in June this year, where the theme was actually uh, in relation to green investment, value addition, and tourism. So we are committed to it. We are keen, actually, uh, as a business association 
to engage on circular economy initiatives, renewable energy solutions, and even look at new technologies, as surprising as it may seem uh, coming from this part of the world. We are looking at green hydrogen. We are looking at satellite technologies on how these can help us uh, transition to a, a greener economy. But however, uh, I want to lay a lot of emphasis on this, Jody and colleagues. As we engage at COP28, I think we urge the international community to rapidly transition from the rhetorics to impactful concrete actions. I think we need to act now. We've got enough of rhetorics. I agree. I think Ambassador Mohamed uh, mentioned quite a lot about it also on climate change and how it is affecting food security in our region. We've increased in that sense of desertification. If you come and fly over Africa these days, you would see it is completely grilled. It's, uh, you know, with, uh, with the heat that we are witnessing these days. Uh, this has led to droughts, floods, and unprecedented. Uh, sometimes we try to underestimate that displacement of people on the continent. And necessitating a coordinated and proportionate response. But I can't express it better than the way Ambassador Mohammed has expressed it. I think now we need the private sector. We need the business community on board. We cannot succeed if we leave them on the sideline. And I think it is critical as we transition to a greener economy, greener trade, that uh, we involve the business community, the private sector. I, that, to, to come back to, to your question, Jody, about green trade measures, um, yes, green trade measures, there's a lot of talk about it, there's a lot of initiatives, there's a lot of regulation being promulgated on, on green trade measures, but one thing, and I think people who are familiar with the WTO will agree with me, uh, we had few cases in the WTO with regard to trade and environment measures. Measures, interventions have to be proportionate necessary, it has to be necessary to address a particular problem and also well-coordinated. That is very simple. We need to avoid any action that would bring uh, protectionist, protectionist measures uh, on uh, facing African countries. Now, what is a reality also, uh, Jody and colleagues, is that many African countries will we still rely heavily on extractive industry, commodities, and fossil fuel for our chains of production. And I think what is important also to, to answer your question, what is important, but the international community must ensure that the regulatory policies, regulatory measures that we are putting in place are harmonized. This I think will greatly help avoid a situation which many trade economists, trade lawyers are aware of, which we call regulatory spaghetti bowl. We don't want a situation where businessmen here in Zambia tomorrow will have to juggle around uh, five or six regulatory measures to be able to export. So it is very important that we avoid this regulatory spaghetti bowl. Now, considering the viewpoint of the business operating on the African continent, I think there's a recognition of the potential impact of newly introduced green trade measures. I think these represent definitely challenges. And I think, uh, uh, the Ambassador Amina Mohammed has touched on that, as well as opportunities. Eh? The challenges, I think, are well known. I think the compliance costs, compliance costs are going to be very high uh, for these countries, African countries, adapting to these green trade measures like carbon taxes uh, uh, will pose significant challenges to small enterprises. Many of our 
businesses in the African continent, in the commercial region, or MSMEs, MSMEs. Now, the compliance cost will significantly affect their comparative advantage. And then something we are also very familiar in this region, we face it quite a lot, is market access barriers, technical barriers to trade. Definitely, if we have some environmental standard, that would create additional barriers to trade. But as the business, as a, an organization representing the business community in this part of the world, we are not close on, on, on these measures. We are not saying they are necessarily bad, they are challenges, but they represent opportunities as well. And I think we need to look at the opportunities, for example, in terms of innovation and differentiation. Embracing these uh, practices will empower African businesses, for example, to foster innovation, setting them apart in the global marketplace. But we need to make that step. And also access uh, to green markets, Con you know, conforming to elevated environmental standards will help us unlock opportunities in green market, potentially getting some preferential access as well. Now, what can we do, Jody? What can we do, colleagues, uh, for the African countries uh, to help them embrace a greener trade? And I think that was mentioned a bit earlier. Capacity building is very important. We need to invest in training programs to build the capacity of African businesses. That is key for them to adopt green technologies and meeting international standards. Financial assistance, financial support is very important. Now, support grants and low interest loan and so on. And I think Ambassador Mohammed mentioned about it and also Patrick mentioned, touch on it as well, on the work being done at the level of the WTO. Very important. Probably we need to, I'm not saying that we should blindly accept what is being done on green subsidies, because that could have negative impact as well, but probably revisit WTO's approach to green subsidies in that regard, and the work on the Trade and the Committee on Trade and Environment as well. But at the moment, if you look at the WTO agreement, some of the provision to subsidies, green subsidies, have lapsed. So it's an opportunity to revisit some of these provision, these approaches in the WTO, how we can make green subsidies more efficient and help African countries. Policy advocacy is very important, but collaboration also between government, international organization, and which leads me to the first point I was making, important to bring along the business community because otherwise it will remain an empty shelf. All the initiatives that we are taking globally without the people who actually have to implement the measures and face the measures is going to be an empty shelf. So we need to bring the private sector and the business community uh, together. Incentives for innovation, of course, are important. Of course, market access facilitation. So these are some of the measures that we can take uh, to, to, to beef up, to improve Africa's export competitiveness and help them move to the green trade, uh, green technologies. So in summary, Jody, yes, African businesses will face challenges, but there are also opportunities. So we have to take these measures that I mentioned in my intervention uh, to, to help them reach up to that level where they can trade internationally and regionally. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Teddy, for that. So great that you were able to pull in the kind of multilateral picture on subsidies as well and, and, and translate that into what that means in terms of the realities on the ground. Thank you so much. I'm actually going to pass now to Wilma from uh, Trademark Africa, um, just so we can continue kind of in this in this vein, really. Um, so, Wilma, the, the African continental free trade area, this, this, the agreement is 
underpinning intra-regional trade growth on the continent. But can you tell us a little bit more about your activities in terms of trying to kind of expand green trade opportunities, adapt to uh, you know, policy changes that are coming down the line from external markets, as well as kind of deepen intra-African value chains? Um, thank, thank you, Jody. Um, Your Excellency, Ambassador Amina Mohamed, uh, distinguished panelists, uh, colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, um, first and foremost, perhaps uh, our immense gratitude to ODI for the opportunity to highlight, um, you know, some of the green trade related intervention that uh, Trademark Africa or TMA is, is implementing, and what this means for increasing Africa's share um, on global trade because that's a concern for us as well, uh, boosting uh, inter-African trade, addressing climate change, um, and economic economic growth uh, and the first uh, facility rather uh, of the continent and the African people. Uh, but uh, first, perhaps an understanding of what you mean uh, by green trade is necessary. Um, for us, green trade considers three aspects. Um, the first is when increasing trade does not result in negative environmental externalities. Um, for instance, ensuring that we reduce or avoid greenhouse gas emissions in transport and logistics um, through the deployment of low carbon uh, transport technologies and modes, as well as efficient logistics that reduce idling and associated emissions. Um, the second aspect is when trade itself uh, is portioned against uh, negative environmental hazards. Um, for instance, um, you know, climate proofing of, of transport infrastructure, infrastructure, markets, and other infrastructure um, required for trade. And I think colleagues uh, from the wider Eastern and Central African regions um, that are present in this important conversation uh, would agree with us that uh, you know just how important um, uh, and crucial climate proofing of infrastructure of, of infrastructure is rather. Um, given the mobility challenges we're currently experiencing um, with the ongoing linear uh, rains. And the third aspect, which is uh, uh, also uh, critical to us, is, um, is gender inclusion and the inclusion of those that are often left behind. In addition, um, as, as, as TMA, um, Africa, as TMA rather, um, the role of trade in reducing food insecurity and thus enhancing climate resilience um, is important to us, especially understanding that food production in Africa in particular is inherently climate dependent. Um, and so um, enabling, for example, inter-African trade in food, e.g. you know, trade uh, between food surplus countries, such as Tanzania just down south here, um, Uganda, and Zambia to, to some extent, uh, with the food deficient countries in the Horn of Africa, is therefore priority action under the Green Trade, um, uh, Green Corridor strategy rather, um, that TMA um, is, is implementing that actually also underpins its uh, green trade work. Um, let me turn to some uh, specific examples to let, illustrate some of these points. One, um, together with the government of Kenya and the funding um, support of the European Union, the Netherlands and Denmark, TMA is currently uh, implementing a project that um, is aimed at uh, um, you know, shifting Kenya's horticulture export um, from air freight to sea freight. Um, this is essentially in response to, you know, developing the, in the EU market in particular. And I think that's something that Patrick alluded to. Um, there, there have been some conversations around, um, you know, um, you know, air, um, air, um, air carbon miles, you know, um, carbon intensity of, of products that are being shipped to uh, Europe and other you know, major export markets, um, especially for African, um, you know, fresh produce. Um, so the target of that particular project is 50% uh, um, of horticulture being you know transport uh, uh rather uh, by 2030 with a potential reduction in greenhouse gas emission by as much as uh, about 85 percent um compared uh, to the business scenario but i must add though because i know question will be asked about that particular uh, number um, i must add though that we're currently 
doing some further work to validate um, those uh, greenhouse gas uh, reduction numbers. But it's also just, it's not just about reducing emissions. Um, it's particularly for us about secure, uh, securing jobs and livelihoods, um, which is really a primary concern, um, you know, for, for developing um, uh, nations uh, such as Kenya. Uh, presently, the cost of air freighting a kilogram of fresh produce to Europe is about $2.8 and could increase further as airlines pass along uh, their decarbonization costs rather to passengers and cargo. Um, fresh produce exporters in conversation with them are actually selling us with the barely re uh, realizing a margin. And any further increase um, could see the, uh, you know, the collapse of the entire industry um, really as a whole. In contrast, um, the cost of sea freighting a kilogram ranges from you know, anything from 1.2 to 1.4 dollars. And therefore, um, the project that we are actually doing, this particular move is, is really um, good for both the environment and the business. And it's a clear demonstration um, that climate objectives are in many cases, um, you know, not inconcurrent um, with developing imperatives. Um, the second uh, piece of work that we are doing um, is something uh, that we call Women in Trade or WIT. Um, so for us, providing women uh, with safe, secure, uh, you know, places to trade in the form of marketplaces. I think if you uh, visited Africa, you would notice, you know, open air markets. So really, you know, shifting um, our women traders from such kind of harsh environments, um, you know, to build, um, you know, infrastructure um, for, uh, that protects them from, you know, the harsh elements of weather like wind, rainfall, and high temperatures, enabling them to trade for longer hours and in a more dignified manner. It's also a key intervention. Um, that TM is, is, is implementing. But it's, um, it's really in recognition of the important role um, that women play, particularly in rural economies, and therefore uh, crucial for TMA's inclusion agenda. But we are going a step further to ensure that we don't just provide an infrastructure, but one that is also uh, both green and climate resilient, um, you know, incorporating things such as solar energy, um, rainwater harvesting, natural lighting and ventilation, and designs that are also um, you know, resilient to flooding. And we've actually done this in um, a number of um, countries uh, in which we operate across across the region. Um, thirdly, um, TMA um, has played and continues to play a crucial role, especially in the removal of you know, non-tariff barriers or NCBs, as our colleagues um, you know in the custom space um, refer to them, and also our bread and butter, um, the development of one um, stop border post. I think at the moment we are at about 15 in number and growing um, across the, uh, the continent, especially in countries in which we operate. Um, this again is in recognition of the fact that in addition to you know, the massive infrastructural gap that you know, needed to address, especially in the transport infrastructure that plagues the continent, um, NTVs present a real threat um, to trade within the continent and really the success um, of even the African uh, continental free trade area. Um, so really, that's, that's, that's a major area of concern. Um, as indicated, um, intra-African trade in agricultural produce and products is particularly important for enhancing food security and climate resilience. In addition, um, it could um, uh, address yet another climate change uh, challenge, um, that of food loss um, and its associated uh, greenhouse gas emissions, um, with estimates indicating that as much as a third of food that is produced globally is, is lost and, and or wasted. And a significant, a significant uh, uh, you know, problem, um, a significant challenge uh, related to that is actually in Africa. So perhaps let me pause at that for now and uh, uh, maybe invite um, a reaction from the audience. Um, thank you, uh, Jody. Uh, back to you. 
Thank you so much, Wama. So very pertinent points there, and I'm glad you picked up on the, the air miles um, issue as well. So I'd now like to turn to Johnny. Um, the UK is one of the largest providers of aid for trade, and we've just had a new white paper on international development that's been released. And of course, we expect more information on the UK's use of border carbon measures as well. Can you tell us a little bit, not to put too much pressure on you, Johnny, but can you tell us a little bit about how the UK is starting to join up some of these dots in relation to climate trade uh, and development, and if there are any changes in the approach to supporting Africa's green trade opportunities. Thank you. Thank you, Jodie, and good morning, everyone. It's um, a delight to join you all and the other panelists this morning. Um, so, yes, you're right to point out that so the UK government published the white paper recently. Um, the title was International Development in a Contested World, Ending Extreme Poverty and Tackling Climate Change. And I think you know, we can take a lot just from the title there that it's clear that you know, um, tackling climate change is up there alongside ending extreme poverty as kind of the top level um, objectives of of the UK's approach and policy in this area. Um, also interesting to note the title as well in terms of, um, we know we're doing this in a contested world and the context we're working in uh, to try and achieve these things. Uh, we can't um, assume it's ever gonna be easy to get international agreement on things. We're working in within a world where there is um, kind of increasing worries about uh, protectionism and about um, economic security and, and resilience and those, those issues as well. Uh, but what's kind of set out within that paper, I think you know the UK is committed to free, fair and inclusive trade as a kind of bedrock for that. Um, you know, trade is um, you know, essential for, you know, um, essential for developing countries to help raise foreign exchange, to help promote jobs and, and inclusive growth. And that kind of remains central to the strategy. Um, so I think it's true as well, you know, aid for trade, you know, has an important role uh, to, to play within that. And I think particularly um, uh, within Africa, we need to make sure there's both access to the, the global export markets in developed countries, as well as kind of promoting that regional intra-African trade. I mean, in terms of the UK, um, you know, we have preferential market access um, for African countries through the developing countries trading scheme and through economic partnership agreements. Uh, but we know that, um, as has been mentioned, you know, um, non-tariff barriers are also kind of really important that we need to make sure we're actually actively kind of promoting trade, um, making those connections between UK businesses um, and ensuring we're um, kind of making it as easy as possible for, for exporters to access those markets. Uh, but intra-African trade and regional trade is also going to play an important role. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for um, being able to um, uh, as has been mentioned, I think, you know, promoting resilience, but also getting into kind of higher value goods. Um, and I think it's also true, yeah, if you look at the figures, you know, the costs of trading in Africa are still um, kind of far too high. There's still a lot, a lot of barriers. And um, I think aid for trade, the work of organisations like Trademark Africa can play a really important role here in terms of um, kind of promoting investment, getting the infrastructure, improving um, kind of um, improving customs procedures to make sure we're kind of lowering those barriers as much as possible. Um, but it's important that, you know, we also don't, um, another thing that was highlighted in the white paper is that we don't neglect services as well. It's, it's important to focus on tariff and non-tariff barriers for goods, um, but also we want to make sure we're um, uh, tackling the barriers for trade and services, again, both regionally and um, to be able to export to um, developed markets. That's somewhere uh, where there's probably a lot of untapped potential if there's kind of new areas or we can find particular sectors uh, where, where there are opportunities there. Um, another kind of central plank of the, the strategy as well is, is the WTO. Um, that's, that's still going to be um, essential to achieving our aims. Um, uh, the the testy, um 
negotiation was mentioned by Patrick. That's uh, kind of early days, but an area where, where the UK is engaging. Uh, we also kind of set out our objectives. We want to seek reform of the WTO and also ways where we can find common ground within those negotiations, which is going to be tricky. Uh, but also kind of central to that as well is kind of facilitating developing country involvement in that and making sure that developing country voices um, are uh, kind of practically facilitated in the WTO so that we can kind of make that dialogue as productive as possible. Um, so it's also mentioned yeah, within the white paper that you know trade is seen as a solution, um, part of the solution uh, for climate change. And I think that links to, um, I think, mainstreaming that throughout the work we do um, on um, overseas development assistance and how we look at trade, making sure um, climate change emissions, these issues are um, something that is... Um, yeah, not just seen as a separate issue, but mainstream throughout all of the work we do. I think, yeah, as has been mentioned, that there's a lot of opportunities here for win-wins if we can um, both reduce the barriers to trade, but also do that in a way that kind of promotes uh, reducing emissions and, and particular green trade um, opportunities. Um, so where we are, I think, um, kind of, that, as has been mentioned, there's, there's kind of opportunities and risks here. I think that, um, so the carbon border adjustment mechanism um, was mentioned the EU will be in, introducing uh, started to introduce theirs. Uh, I think where um, where the UK government is on this, there was a, a public consultation held on on potential CBAM measures, uh, which the UK is now reviewing um, those responses. So a decision has not yet been taken on whether and how a CBAM uh, might be implemented in the UK. But we're aware that you know that does create. Um, that does create concerns amongst developing countries that it could be something that introduced costs um, for compliance. Uh, but I think one thing that is very clear to us is, you know, it's really important that, that if that is done, it's done with proper consultation uh, with the people who may be affected and with developing countries. And we think about the way that it could be implemented in order to try um, and manage that. But more widely, I think it's true that as there are efforts to um, kind of uh, decarbonize and prevent carbon leakage, I think, you know, the UK has always been clear that, um, we, our priority is to seek, you know, international solutions for carbon leakage and carbon prices, and I think we'll continue to um, to, to push for that. But it's it's in the absence of meaningful progress um, towards those international solutions that um, you know countries will be looking at uh, domestic policies to um, to do that. So in a way, I, I can see how there's concerns that there may be um, kind of uh, increased. Um, compliance cost or potentially as we look at regulation and standards um, in a way that we want to um, kind of yeah, promote decarbonisation, um, then there may be concerns there that that could kind of create costs. And we need to make sure we're doing that in a way that we're, we're targeted of what the objectives are, that we're doing it in consultation. Um, and the flip side of that is, yeah, to make sure we're, at the same time we're making the most of the opportunities um, that there may be um, in terms of yeah, promoting uh, renewable energies, making sure, you know, Africa is a continent with huge amounts of um, natural resources. We need to make sure that um, there's also a, yeah, a push towards kind of greater value added within regional supply chains and within access to the developed countries market and looking for new opportunities in there, which also yeah, includes services and environmental services um, or kind of activities that may be um, helping to promote trade in a way that um, uh, in a way that also kind of uh, yeah develops these green opportunities and puts um, kind of Africa in a position to take advantage of those opportunities as they arrive. And I think throughout that, the key thing is um, ensuring there's uh, dialogue so that we understand that uh, we're clear on our objectives and that we're, we're clear we understand the potential impacts on other countries and what the priorities are uh, for partner countries in that. Um, but I'll stop there. Thanks a lot, Jodie. Back to you.
Brilliant. Thank you very much, um, Johnny. So good to know about the the kind of still consultations on CBAM and, and whatnot still ongoing, um, but good to have that kind of strong emphasis there on in, in relation to trade and mainstreaming and considering all of these aspects related to, to the climate change, the new context that we have because of the, the climate emergency. Um, brilliant. So I'm going to pass over now to, to James. Um, so James, there's quite a bit already now in the in the conversations, the, the, the interventions that you've heard so far that you can probably pick up on um, already. But if you could just tell us a little bit more about your work, which is looking at businesses and, and in particular net uh, retailers' responses to net zero strategies, and you know why why should we be concerned about about these strategies? Yeah, thank you, Jody. Good morning, everyone. Great, great pleasure to be here. Um, I represent the Fair Miles Consortium of companies, NGOs, universities, and federations, which is seeking to ensure that the um, the necessary net zero and other green policies that are going to take us on the the global green transition are um, <clears throat> uh, impact the downstream decisions that are made by companies and governments and stakeholders around the world in a way that include all of the aspects of sustainability. So that's the environmental aspects, so reducing carbon emissions, but also this um, uh, social benefits. Uh, we've heard a lot today already about pro-poor livelihoods, uh, rural uh, job skills, high value products, et cetera, and also the economic opportunities that, that can help um, be a ladder out of poverty for, for um, many relatively poor um, producers in um, in developing countries. We need to do this in a way which is evidence-based, it's scientific and robust. And um, yeah, so that's the uh, you know, the point I wish to take. Um, I feel I'm gonna, uh, I'm, I risk reiterating a lot of the great uh, um, points that have been uh, already put forward by the panelists. So I'll do my best to sort of add value here, but you know, the really important reason that this is, that this is on the table pre-COP, um, this focus on reducing carbon emissions, we all we all um, agree with, but we don't want to reduce the opportunities to achieve the sustainable development goals. Um, so, and I'm, I'm gonna quote uh, uh, Amina, uh, she said, as poorer producers, we should not bear the costs of glo the global green transition. I think that's, that's a really important point to make here. We're talking about social justice here, but we're also, we, we, we also want companies and federations and governments make the right decisions. Um, and just like in life, not all, not all decisions are So I believe that James has frozen, unless it's my computer that's frozen. Okay, so we've 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 just dropped James. Yeah. Yeah. He is back. You're you're back, James. You were kind of frozen. Yes. I'm sorry. I've I've clearly got a slightly. Uh, can you hear me again, Jody? Yes. Sorry. So Rope. you're just getting on to kind of the business strategy yeah. then. Just apologies, ropey uh, Wi-Fi here. Um, uh, the. What we what we're seeing is that uh, fresh fruit and vegetables are um, something which impacts from a social and economic viewpoint very positively. Um, lots of livelihoods in in rural Africa, uh, high value produce um, going into high value markets with with very high standards as well. 
Um, we did some work, and many of us on this call were involved in this 15 years ago, looking at this, at this issue. We provided evidence, uh, wrote government policy, um, and showed that, that this was something that consumers should be proud of. S um, supermarkets, retailers, the whole supply chain should be proud of the, the SDG benefits, the carbon emission benefits, et cetera, that, that, that happen with respect to this. Um, <clears throat> there, there, are, there are obviously concerns. Um, that right now the focus on net zero policies and the um, the, the looming decisions that are going to be made at, at, at COP could give the the wrong sort of incentives to some of these stakeholders. And we um, we have seen one major European um, retailer that is using the reduction in air freighted produce. So in other words, fewer livelihoods being benefited as a marketing tool. Um, <clears throat> So this is um, something which is which is happening right now. There are no guidelines. Um, we understand that these decisions are difficult, and we can see that there's that there's the the need for for more information to be to be put out into the into the world. In in two thousand and six, the we um, we had the, the the challenge around food miles. Um, this was well countered by evidence and uh, collaboration of consortium of um, stakeholders along with supply chain, including governments across Europe and in, and in Africa. Um, what we saw after this, particularly through a lot of um, uh, great promotion from the major retailers, was that trade thrived. Um, <clears throat> consumers were proud to eat or to consume and to buy produce um, from these, um, from these excellent um, high value, highly skilled farmers across Africa. And there is a concern now that those some of those lessons have been have been lost or forgotten or and 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 need need to be reiterated. Uh, what we'd like to see at COP is that trade can be turned back into the green shield that uh, a lot of these farmers and livelihoods require. Thank you, Jody. Brilliant. Thank you so much, James. Again, given us a lot to to reflect on there. And um, we do have some questions that have already been posed in the, the Q&A box, but I would encourage all participants, you know, if you do have questions, do put them in. There's a, there's a question and answer um, chat. And um, so please do um, put your questions in there. I mean, we've got a kind of a few different approaches really to the question. Some are kind of more focused on mitigation, um, on carbon border measures and, and carbon taxes. Um, others are a bit more kind of thinking about the scale of the, the transformation that we need. Um, so let me just turn firstly to, to Patrick, if that's OK, Patrick, just to pick up on, on this point about, and I think it's from Bruce Byers from ECDPM in, in Brussels, um, and he's posed a question with regards to um, the EU's approach to carbon border adjustment measures. Not sure if you can see the question there in the chat, but he's saying that um, it's striking that the EU sees the CBAM as an internal measure, not related to trade. It's not about carbon leakage. It's not about decarbonisation. So Bruce was just wondering if you could say a few more words about how you would, how you could imagine uh, this could be best addressed through the WTO. I think there are some other questions there that have picked up on your points around carbon taxes. Um, as well, but we'd welcome your your thoughts there, Patrick, and you might want to provide some recommendations for the UK um, as well uh, in this context. Okay, well, thanks, Jody, for putting me on the spot. Um, 
the only way I can see how the EU could say this is internal measures, they think of it as a as one of those um, excise tax type things, where there's no discrimination at all. Um, but the, the problem with that is that they are determining what this price should be for the rest of the world if they want to trade with the EU. And it's a strange market in the sense that the price is determined through the ETS, the European Trading System, right? What? How does the supply side of that get fed? The supply side of that gets fed by decisions by governments of how many uh, how many permits to put out there. And that's a judgment they're making about how much they want to control pollution. And then the, the market prices those through the through the exchange. One thing that would be great is if you went for a tax solution and then you did have a, a market, then maybe it would, but I, I think the tax solution by itself is probably sufficient to keep trade out of the picture as long as there is coordination and coherence among countries and accountability as to how they're applying the tax and what the returns from the tax are. And, and then, you know, is the tax sufficient? Now, inevitably, somebody is going to have to determine the height of the tax. Uh, the UNFCCC have views on this, and they put, put forward ideas of what the, the tax should be per tonne of carbon, the carbon dioxide or carbon equivalent. Um, so I think it's it's actually quite hard to see how, if you're going to go this approach and, and have a market that's determined the price of the market is directly determined by the government concern, how you're going to get coherence across the, across frontiers, which is why I, it sort of takes me back to the idea that the only way, real way of doing this is to is for each country to take responsibility for its, its carbon emissions through a tax and then to be accountable for that. But there may be, a, there may be something I'm not, I'm not getting, but I, I know I can see how you want to call it an excise tax, but there's still the question of how that market is built and who determines the prices. Yeah, there was an interesting event not so long ago, just a couple of weeks ago with um, Bruegel that brought together a representative from the Commission and was also kind of touching on this issue um, as well, Patrick. But yeah, it is tricky and, and the UK is also going to have to navigate this um, as well. And um, so, Teddy, I'd like to pass to you, if that's OK, next, just to pick up on this this question about the the invest about investment and the kind of scale of, of investment that's needed um, within the context of this this transition and um, process, so I was wondering if you could perhaps say a few remarks in relation to to investment um, and what's been you know the kind of the perspectives from from Comessa and kind of what's happening there um, on on the ground. That would be really helpful. Yeah. <clears throat> No, thanks, thanks, Judy. That's that's a very a pertinent question. I think some of the speakers also touched on that. When it comes, first of all, to investment, I think we first of all need to look at the investment in the human capital. First of all, do we have the capacity, the human capacity, uh, on the continent, in the Comesa region, to address issues relating to to the transition uh, to a greener economy to greener trade. So first of all, when we talk about investment, we really need to speak about investment in our human capital here to train uh, and empower uh, our business community, our young people, entrepreneurs to really move into, into that economy. So that's the first point. The second point is really about infrastructure. It's no secret uh, that in many African countries, many commercial countries, there is a deficit in terms of infrastructure. And I think when you talk about road infrastructure, when you talk about uh, uh, transport system, there needs to be 
a lot in terms of investment in the infrastructure. That's the key also. And also in, in investment in moving uh, to digital form of, of doing business. Uh, for example, at the level of CBC at the moment, we are putting in place an online retail payment platform which will facilitate cross-border trade and encourage people to move digital. We are also planning to develop e-commerce platform. So there needs to be massive investment, first of all, in human capital, infrastructure, but also in encouraging countries to move the digital way. And I think if we can get it there, I think that will be a big leap forward, but also important. All this investment will require resources. Mobilization of resources for this investment will be critical. So this is what I can share with you in terms of my inside journey. Thank you very much, Teddy. So yeah, great to, to have that focus on, on human capital. Um, absolutely. So making sure that there are the capabilities in, in place first. Um, so Rama, I'm wondering if I can come back to you just to pick up on these points about infrastructure. Uh, and and um, some of the the questions in the chat box have been in relation to ensuring ensuring infrastructure is resilient, climate resilient. I was wondering if you may be able to share um, a few kind of insights from the work that TMA uh, has been doing. That would be very helpful. If you're still on the line, you're still on the line. Yeah, great. Thank you, I'm on the line. Yes. Um, yeah. So. so I mean, TMA, as, as you understand, I think our biggest um, infrastructure development has been around um, the one-stop border post. Um, um, as I indicated in the chat, I think we've done about 15 or so across um, the countries in which we work. And right now we are planning, I think, uh, three others. Um, I was recently in, uh, in, in the border, I mean, at the border of uh, Ethiopia and, and uh, Somaliland, um, a place called Tabojale, uh, where we are also you know, planning another one-stop border post. And it's really about, um, as I indicated, um, you know, our, our when we talk about resilience and, 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 you know, low carbon, we consider all aspects um, in terms of the design and construction. How do we ensure that if it's a place that, uh, for example, experiences flooding, um, um, as was, um, as is the case rather in, uh, um, you know, the, uh, between, um, you know, there's a border post between Uganda and, um, and and, and uh, um, South Sudan, where we're also trying to build another market. How do we ensure that we, we design and build, you know, markets that, for example, are, um, you know, can can withstand flooding, uh, so that they are, you know, useful and operational even um, in extreme um, weather conditions. Again, as I said, um, right now I think um, the region is experiencing heavy rainfall, um, El Nino and this uh, uh, rainfall, um, which is something that had been anticipated, and we can actually see. Um, what climate proofing infrastructure really means, um, um, because we've been there have been cases of, you know, roads that are cut off, uh, bridges that have been uh, destroyed, and, and the like, and that really, um, you know, has an implication on on um, you know both I mean, movement of both uh, people, people and goods. Um, so we we as TMA really try to ensure that some of these issues are actually incorporated, in addition to the traditional work around you know environmental um, and, and social safeguarding. Um, so yes, I don't know whether that suffices. Thank you very much, Roma. That's very, very insightful. Again, please thank you. Um, and you know, I, so I guess it's you know we've just got these you know kind of got the the imperative of of adaptation to climate change, but then at the same time, this kind of adapting to the kind of changing market conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, as as well and and kind of um, more kind of punitive measure trade measures that are coming from some of the the big players like the border carbon adjustment measures. So it's trying to trying to kind of navigate this this space. I wanted to come to Johnny 
uh, next. Um, so Johnny, there's a few, there's a question in the chat in relation to carbon border adjustment mechanisms and also about you know what what the how the UK could act within the context of the multilateral trading system. I wondered if you could say a few words about that. But also I was wondering in the new um, strategy, the, the white paper in the, the white paper, there's quite an emphasis there on uh, building resilience, a specific mention of increasing um, LDC's trade. And um, there's a question about there's there's a point about kind of building more kind of resilient um, value chains and perhaps related to this 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 consideration of an import policy. I wondered if you if you are able to shed any light on on what is envisaged there. That would be um, very helpful. Thanks. Um, yeah, happy to kind of give an overview of that. I think on the um, yeah, so it's so on the CBAM. I think um, as has been mentioned, yeah, I think you know the or CBAM and WTO and, and those issues, you know, the, the UK thinks, you know, does believe that international solutions will be um, the best way and like international coordination is going to be um, incredibly important on that. But I think, yeah, we just have to be realistic that it's been incredibly difficult to kind of find consensus and, and find international agreement on these issues. And I think that's where, why we are where we are in terms of, um, you know, C CBAMs being looked at, uh, yeah, by the EU and, and coming in as a domestic policy. I think there, there's, you know, the first best solution is always going to be um, an international agreement on carbon leakage or on carbon pricing. Um, I think, and as to the, there's a comment in the chat, I think, yeah, there is part of, um, I think, the reasoning behind a CBAM and the way it would work is actually um, introducing a CBAM creates an incentive for other countries to um, do their own carbon taxes or carbon pricing. Um, because obviously uh, countries that have their own carbon pricing can get an exemption or a reduction in the CBAM. This is the way the EU uh, policy will work. So, and I think to, um, also, yeah, to be realistic, I think part of the reason the UK will be looking at a CBAM is that um, uh, obviously once once the EU brings in the CBAM, there's a question of um, if uh, basically, yeah, a CBAM means that the 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 kind of revenue from that will go to the country imposing the CBAM rather than if you can introduce carbon uh, pricing uh, domestically, you can then get the reduction from the CBAM and take that revenue yourself. So it, it's part of the reasoning, I think, is to kind of create that kind of incentive. Uh, but it's true that I think that, um, yeah, that the international cooperation would be preferred on that. Um, but that's kind of where we're looking. Um, and on the, yeah, on the question of imports as well. So I think, yeah, there's an important um, kind of... Um, perspective we, we look at in terms of you know the amount that um the uk imports you know from africa and from other developing countries you know it's incredibly um uh like it because yeah trade and exports are so essential you know we should be looking at as that as a kind of a big international transfer you know it, it's far greater in value than um overseas development assistance it's a you know important um kind of revenue and because those you know those exports are so important in terms of um you know uh getting foreign exchange for those countries and accessing those markets so yeah as I said you know we want to promote regional trade as well but we also uh, need to look at you know the big developed countries are these big valuable export markets um so I think we're looking at um yeah kind of what more we can do to kind of promote that trade so there's already things we do in terms of kind of um aid for trade support that we give that kind of um provide kind of um 
practical support within particular countries. Um, so we have we have a program called the UK Trade Partnerships uh, Program, which is linked. It looks at kind of countries we trade with um, through economic partnership agreements um, or, or through the developing countries trading scheme and, and kind of looks at particular projects where we can help make connections between UK buyers um, and developing country sellers and kind of identify where there are uh, barriers to trade where ODA could be helpful um, in breaking those down. So I think, yeah, on the import, I think that there's work we can do. I think, you know, there's work around kind of um, information and comms and things like that to make sure the you know, countries and exporters are aware of there is preferential market access in place, uh, but also there are um, uh, standards and um, regulations that need to be met and like help making sure that people understand what is needed in order to export to the UK and help um, link those up and then there is kind of practical support that we can do to kind of identify where the barriers are can we help make connections between exporters um, and, and importers in the UK and can we um, help with you know compliance with standards or building the capacity of um, standards institutions in developing countries um, so there's I think there's a lot of work we can do to kind of recognize that yeah that the the amount that we import you know from Africa is an incredibly uh, valuable kind of kind of flow um but what can we do more to make sure that you know the, the preferential access that's there is being used um and that we kind of um yeah maximize the, the benefits of that thanks thank you very much um johnny patrick do, let, do let me know patrick if you want to come in on on an, any of those points there in relation to to cbam but i'm also quite conscious i don't want to just keep this discussion focused on um cbam and and, and border measures because the agenda is is far far broader than than that and i'm also quite conscious that um you know it's it's also you know kind of learning from kind of other countries that are making this transition and and what kind of what lessons can be learned there rather than thinking about oh barriers are being enacted in this country what do we do so i, I i'm just quite conscious that if we were to have a future discussion perhaps we could um, focus on that but patrick i can see your your i'm not sure if that's a finger waving as in the hand yes okay great um patrick if you just, just, just very briefly i want i want to say that i, I don't have much to add to what's been said I think it obviously is suboptimal what we've got, but maybe it'll make a difference to uh, carbon emissions. I think it will. But the other point that hasn't we, that I think really we should be worrying about too is if Africa's going to industrialize, if Africa's going to diversify, it's going to run up increasingly against discriminatory subsidies. And that's just another issue. I just put it out there. I don't know if we've got time to discuss it, but I think that's a, a, a real something coming around, coming down the road, which hasn't received much attention. Yeah, yeah, that I'm I'm aware that they some there are some discussions ongoing. Um, I, I think that um, if I'm not mistaken in in Geneva next week on on the subject. Um, I think it's IISD who are convening um, a group of experts to 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 look at this this issue as well. I absolutely share those points, Patrick. That um, yeah, I mean the private sector is being given kind of a big boost in some parts of the world and and that's just completely absent in in others um i'm wondering james if you might like to um come in on this point about private sector engagement um and just also you know kind of picking up on some of the points that that teddy's raised as well um in terms of increasing awareness 
of the business community in terms of new opportunities and so on. I hope you're still on the line um, with us, James, but it'd be really helpful just learning from your work, the work that you've been doing um, as part of the fair moles, you know, bringing the private sector together. I mean, you know, are there any insights that you could share within this con the context of, of, of this discussion here this morning? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jodie. Um, unlike most economists, I'm, I'm optimistic about the situation that we're that we're in here. Um, yeah, I've had some we've had some great um, uh, initiatives, regulations, changes that are that are actively happening right now across across the world with the with the with the trading system. And nowhere do we see um, cooperation working better than the supply chains for you, that the private sector um, typically use. You've got you've got co-financing, you've got friendships, you've got uh, trust, and and all sorts all of the all of the good elements that you need to negotiate good good deals and ultimately make sure that everybody everybody benefits. Um, what the what the private sector is looking for is guidance. So I work with with a wide range of companies around the world, from professional services through to the big dirty ones that dig things up and uh, you know transport energy, but also the green ones that that, that do sort of green steel in the north of Sweden and in uh, you know all 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 of these companies um, are finding it very challenging to know what to do. They're being told by their um, by the recruiters, by their staff, by their clients, etc., that they need to be actively communicating their environmental um, credentials. They need to be making decisions that are transparent, that help a wide range of um, constituents, and they quite understandably find it find it difficult. And uh, you know, I think that the the example that, that I gave of Fair Miles, where we were. But we had the Secretary of State, this was in 2007, we had the Secretary of State in the UK actively encouraging um, uh, people on Valentine's Day in 2007 to buy roses from Kenya as a, as a net benefit to both carbon emissions and to, um, to support the livelihoods of those individuals, both in the supply chain, but also from a farming point of view. And you know, that was seen as a a sort of a paradox in many people's eyes, but it's you know it's quite easy to grasp. But but we also see now, you know, my mum never got it. I don't know. A, a lot of consumers never quite got it. But I think that what we what we did see there was that the private sector really understood this and, and took it to heart. What we didn't really have at that point was any sort of standard way of putting this all in one place. How how and who is going to balance carbon emissions, livelihoods? future economic opportunities, um, you know, opportunities that exist in the, in the high value um, produce um, sector. How, how is that really going to trickle down to support rural livelihoods? We know it does, of course. But is this something that we should be encouraging more of? Or should we be looking, as, uh, as Uma was explaining, the, the great work that Trademark Africa is doing around the, the sea freight issue there? You know, a mitigation and hopefully, you know, uh, adaptation and an, and an economic benefit to to everyone. Um, so I think within within all of this, yeah, you know, there is need for more data. There is need more for more for, for improved guidelines that are simple. And yeah, I fully understand. I've I've read a lot of them. I haven't read all of them, um, but you know, there are there are a lot you know a lot out there. But whenever I take these guidelines, these approaches to companies. I always need to tailor it first, whether it's a TCFD or a TNFD, which is, sorry, um, Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or 
TNFD, which is the nature-related financial disclosures. Whenever we go down these, these pathways with companies, it's always a journey. You, know, you take them, it's it's about helping everybody understand, firstly, what, what we're asking, what is needed, what the upsides are for the company, but also what the potential downsides are. What's going to change? What are you not going to be doing in the next, you know, in 10 years' time? What are you not going to be doing? What we need to make sure is that those win-wins, low carbon, high um, high livelihoods, great economic opportunities, and have been around for a long time, um, such as the fresh fruit, fresh fruit and vegetables trade with rural Africa, um, and you know, many many other rural parts of uh, the uh, the developing world, that, that those do continue. That in ten years' time, they're much bigger. They're they're hopefully more you know, even more transparent. But it's also something that you know I think what we what we see is that. Ultimately, we're asking companies to make investment decisions. If we break it down to that and we just say we are talking about investment decisions, that's the language where we can really influence change. Um, as a you know, as an economist, I have you know, I'm, I'm I'm able to have those conversations with the CFOs of companies, and you know, once you're talking about numbers, it makes a big difference. We us we still have wide grey areas here, though, so I, I'm optimistic. Um, but I'm also aware of the the scale of the challenge and ultimately the scale of bringing everything that we've heard about today into one place that then I can put that in front of my next client and they can say, oh, I, I understand that and I'm fully on you know aware of what's, what's going to happen and what I need to do to be part of that solution. Thanks very much um, for that, James. So I'm also thinking ahead, you know, thinking about the kind of UK's role here as well, and thinking ahead to, you know, trying to bring these aspects into the um, UK Africa investment summits in in the, in the future. That would perhaps be um, quite quite useful as well. Um, well, but there was a, a brief question in the chat about this transition from air freight to shipping. If you were able to just spend kind of one minute, just providing a little bit one, more one, information. Yeah. yeah, two minutes, ma'am. So as I said, I think this is one project um, that has actually appeared a demonstration to us that, uh, you know, climate objectives can actually be aligned with developing parties um, in the sense that we're not only reducing emissions, we're also looking at the cost of, you know, transporting uh, fresh produce to, to Europe. As I indicated, uh, present it, um, you know, by air freighting is about a kg um, going for about $2.8 and could actually increase further as airlines, you know, pass along their decarbonization cost um, to passengers and, and cargo. Um, in contrast, um, you know, a, a kg uh, by seed trade is between one, um, one point two to one point four dollars at the moment, right? And so, really, um, you know, our you know fresh produce exporters are already complaining about the cost of air freighting, and any further increase could actually see the total you know collapse of the entire industry as as it is. And so, really, this is one of uh, those projects that is not only good for environment in terms of you know emission reduction. But also quite good for business. So you know, an alignment of of you know climate objectives um, with um, development imperatives. Excellent. Thank you so much for providing that de that detail there. Um. So we've had we've had a really rich, engaging. Uh, discussion and I feel perhaps if we were to do this in the future maybe we we maybe focus on a fewer issues because we've covered a tremendous amount of, of, of ground here 
um, with the different interventions and, and the perspectives from the kind of thinking about the multilateral trading system to the kind of realities um, on the ground. Um, and we've also outlined some kind of you know, policies for looking ahead as to how to change um, some of the, the, the dynamics um, regarding kind of adverse effects on African export uh, com competitiveness. Um, but what I would like to do now is just pass to um, Ambassador Amina uh, Mohammed for, for closing remarks um, before we wrap up this, this session um, overall. So Ambassador, I hope you've enjoyed uh, the discussion um, and we look forward to hearing your, your reflections as, as we wrap up uh, today's session. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Jolly. Um, very, very interesting uh, session. Very interesting session. And uh, I'm really, really grateful that we're able to do uh, to do this together. I'm hoping that next time we'll have uh, a longer session, uh, you know, so that we can have a much uh, freer, I think, exchange of views uh, without uh, um, being constrained uh, by the, 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 you know, the time that we have. Uh, but everything that has been said has been, you know, really critically important. Uh, for just the journey ahead, uh, because it's going to be a very interesting journey, uh, but also a very challenging, a very challenging one. And uh, you know what we said about uh, you know just um, um, turning the the, the 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 green squeeze into uh, you know the seeds of new green uh, you know trade opportunities. Um, what has been said about the place of international cooperation. Uh, the need to ensure that members can still access markets, uh, especially developing country members, uh, to developed economies uh, without the imposition of additional uh, constraints and measures. Um, you know, I think the, the, the fact that African countries uh, would need a lot of support, a lot of uh, infrastructural and architectural support uh, to just ensure that they can transition uh, without having to bear uh, a disproportionate uh, you know, burden, um, uh, the, the need to, um, uh, you know, focus on uh, regional value chains. And I think uh, what was said by TMA, uh, very, very instrumental. We're really grateful to all to them for all the work they've done. And the one border, uh, you know, uh, one one-stop one border uh, posts have been very, very useful. I was actually present at the opening of two of them. And so I know how much work went to, into just putting them in place. But even what he said about, you know, just making sure that we're using the climate objectives and, and development imperatives uh, without additional, uh, you know, cost. And, and obviously, what we said about poor, poorer countries not having to bear right uh, the 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 cost of the global green uh, you know transition. Uh, but what Teddy said about uh, the three key issues of skills development, infrastructure development, and encouraging and equipping African economies uh, to move more into the digital digital trade, um, you know, space. Uh, you know, so, so I think that very very important points have been made. I think it's been a very um, uh, a very very uh, informative uh, you know you know session, and I hope that uh, you know we can continue doing this this work together. Uh, in any case, we will try as much as possible to capture. Uh, what uh, what we have uh, learned and uh, you know also what has been uh, communicated to us during this session uh, in any uh, conversations that we have going going forward um, and and I think that the one point that really needs to be to be repeated is that uh, any measures that are um, put in place should not undermine the multilateral trading system uh, 
uh, that uh, you know there was a lot of work that went into uh, negotiating uh, agreements uh, within the WTO, and uh, that um, uh, you know um, we should actually be very vigilant in making sure that you know that is not affected adversely uh, by anything that uh, uh, that we're talking about now. Uh, so so really grateful again, uh, Jody. I think it's been an extremely useful uh, session, and I look forward to the next one. Thank you so much, Ambassador. So we're really pleased that we were able to bring together this, this panel um, session. And I hope that you know, we've developed some new connections as well um, with, with the panellists um, here. So I'm really delighted we were able to convene this ahead of COP28 and the, the first trade day. Um, and we've had a rich, engaging discussion. And there's clearly a lot of work to be done and more engagement with the business community, ensuring you know, more sensitisation and, and, and so on. And um, so we look forward to, to also um, going with you on this journey uh, as we as we move ahead um, uh, as well. So I'd like to thank um, you, um, Ambassador, um, and also all panellists uh, for joining us um, here this morning um, and all participants as well. So the video will be uploaded um, on the on the web. Um, as we go into COP, we're going to be tweeting. And um, so you may find yourself kind of tagged with a quote and a link to the video as, as we move up, uh, up, up to COP28. So I'm assuming that you're all going to be um, okay with that. So um, really delighted. Thank you so much for your time and your engagement. And we look forward um, to our next conversation um, in the future. Um, so have an enjoyable rest of the day and thank you very much, everyone.